Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us straight off the practice field in Nashville, Tennessee, coming off his offensive coordinator debut, it's the coach, Corey Burton. Yo, what's going on? I uh, came off my debut. It was a very successful one. Uh, I hung up 41 on uh, Upperman's JV, and uh, we pitched a shutout to help me, so... Uh, it was a good day all around yesterday. I've been flying, been riding pretty high. Um, but uh, guess what week it is, guys? It's college uh, football starts in a couple of days, actually. So I'm excited. I know you're excited. So uh, let's get on with it. All right, all right. And the third amigo in the second city, a man who thoroughly believes that the best version of Tiger Rag is that of Clemson's. It is our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Well, he just plants so fast, it makes it fun. And I am just very pleased to announce that you're the only sports talk show, podcast, radio. Like, we're not going to have anything to do with the dead horse story of the sports cycle right now with Colin Kaepernick. We're purely doing week one college football, and that's exciting. It is Colin Kaepernick. Uh, <laughs> he used to play for Nevada, that uh, the home of the pistol offense. Oh, yeah, the home of the pistol. Yeah, I got it. All right. Well, let's. Uh, it's, it's week one, and we got a lot to get into, so let's get right on it. Uh, we're going to start with our quick slants, and so, Josh, we're going to toss it out to you first. Yeah, my first quick slant has to do with the Big Ten. No shocker there, but maybe the team is a little bit of a shocker. That's the Hoosiers opener. Um, they like to schedule a road game, um, but they don't really have anyone that they play annually outside of Purdue. So they've had some very strange, unusual road trips in the non-conference. They start with one to open up this season. That is at Florida International. Uh, this is a team that went 5-7 and seven last year. Indiana won the matchup by two touchdowns a year ago in Bloomington. But a little bit different script this time around. Indiana does not have Nate Sudfeld. Florida International returns Alex McGough, who was a really good quarterback last year, I think, uh, that Indiana still wins it, but I think it's going to be competitive. I'm curious to see uh, what the Hoosiers look like at that quarterback position. By far their biggest question mark entering the year. It should be an exciting game. All right, excellent. Uh, Coach, what have you got for us? Well, um, I'm going down to Auburn, Alabama. It is the ESPN 9 p.m. Uh, nightcap on Saturday following the, uh, the a game that I'm going to be watching very closely in the Georgia Dome. Uh, Clemson and Auburn. Uh, Auburn opens its uh, brand new season with a brand new quarterback, John Frank Franklin the third. Um, if you guys have watched the show Last Chance You on Netflix, he is uh, he is a JUCO transfer from Scuba Tech or East Mississippi Community College for those keeping score at home. Uh, it'll be an interesting matchup. Uh, definitely a uh, it became an easier uh, home opener or it became an e- easier opener for Clemson because it's not at home, um, because Auburn has kind of slid a little bit. 
Um, but I, I think there's a lot of different storylines in this game. Uh, Kevin Steele, uh, Clemson fans will remember him always for his 2011 debacle in the Orange Bowl, which he gave up. I think West Virginia just scored another touchdown on him, actually. Um, so I think they'll remember that, and they'll, they'll try to have that little extra chip on their shoulder. Uh, but Deshaun Watson comes into his junior season uh, looking to make a Heisman run. Clemson fresh off of 14-1, national championship uh, game appearance run. And, uh, you know, this one, as far as, like, seeing how it's going to go, I think Clemson's going to – I think it's going to be a competitive game in the first half, but I think it's going to be too much Mike Williams, too much Wayne Gallman, and too much Deshaun Watson on offense. And, you know, when you have the best defense coordinator in the biz right now, Brett Venables, um, I, I think the defense is going to be too tough as well. And, and I think Clemson's going to – enter their season on a high note. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, my first quick slam is uh, the matchup between Colorado State and Colorado. Uh, this is always, uh, you know, an early season game that I look forward to because, you know, both these programs have been going sort of in opposite directions recently. But uh, last year, under the first year of Mike Bobo's leadership, the Rams were seven and five after going ten and two the previous ten and three the previous year. I'm sorry, but um, there is definitely a lot to look forward to here in the battle for Colorado, excluding Air Force. Um, because, you know, as we looked at before in our Pac-12 season preview, Colorado is definitely a team on the upswing. And it's going to be uh, really interesting to see what they do at the quarterback position. I expect them to, uh, you know, utilize uh, both uh, Nick Stevens as well as uh, Coach, I don't know, can you pronounce his name for me? Um, uh, Faut, uh, for Colorado State, the Georgia transfer, Fauto. Fatone Bowdoin. Yes, that. Um, so uh, both those guys are going to get some snaps, uh, definitely. And uh, so we'll see uh, sort of how they sort that out. On the other side of the ball, um, Sefu Liu Fao is, uh, you know, should be good to go for the Buffs. And, you know, he had a, uh, uh, you know, he had a nice season last year, but definitely needs to pick it up a little bit more. Uh, going forward. What I would be most worried about for the Buffs is that they were last year number 97 in the country in scoring offense, and they're going to need to get it going against um, against Colorado State. You know Bobo's guys will be flying around, so it'll be uh, a lot of fun at uh, when they mix it up at Mile High there, and that is at 8 o'clock Eastern on uh, Friday night, actually. So a little Friday night football for us to get the weekend started right. So, uh, uh, Josh, you got another slant for us? I do, and I'm going uh, to my home state, Iowa State and Northern Iowa. They do battle. Iowa State won this game 31-7 a year ago, but the Panthers were kind of a team in transition. They actually started out 2-4. and four. It was kind of a rocky season, but they won seven straight to end the year last year to end with nine wins before losing a quarterfinal matchup to eventual national champion North Dakota State. With uh, Carson Wentz gone from the Bison, uh, the Panthers are a popular pick to finally unseat them, and that has to in the uh, Missouri Valley Football Conference. That has to do with a really good defense last year. They allowed under 20 points per game, and their defense, their offense almost scored 30 points per game, but they have the uh, Missouri Valley Football Conference – 
Newcomer of the year last year coming back. Uh, their quarterback was absolutely insane. How do these stats sound to you? Uh, 1,300 rushing yards, 1,600 passing yards. And uh, some people from Illinois might know him, Aaron Bailey. He's played his high school ball in Illinois, started his career at the University of Illinois before transferring to Northern Iowa. And for Iowa State, we talked about it. The Big 12 has some questionable teams. We're not sure how good the Kansas schools will be. We're not sure how good West Virginia, Texas Tech. There are some teams out there for Iowa State to win and get to a bowl game, but they have to take care of a very, very pesky Northern Iowa team that looks to be one of the better FCS members this year. I'm intrigued to see if Iowa State can avoid an obvious trap game. I mean, can it even be a trap game? If it's the first game of the year, you would think they'd be pretty pumped for it. I mean, they've got to know how good Northern Iowa is. Hey, man, I saw Iowa need to block consecutive field goals in the year they made the Orange Bowl and beat Georgia Tech. You don't ever, like, just assume anything with Northern Iowa. They're well-coached. When they're playing you in-state, a lot of these kids are overlooked by Iowa and Iowa State, and they've got that chip on their shoulder. Um, to me, this is a trap game, even if it is week one. All right. Uh, well, Coach, uh, you're going to head down and talk uh, Tennessee App State. You know it. And uh, actually, if there, ever, if there ever was a week one trap game, it would be this one right here. Uh, they open in a couple of days on Thursday. Uh, they open, uh, and and the thing Tennessee has to to uh, to avoid is they have a they have what uh, I think it's called the Battle for Bristol. They're playing Virginia Tech at the Bristol Motor Speedway next week. So you welcome in App State, who you know every time they every time they line up against a Power Five school, they replay that 2006 Michigan game where they where they took down the Wolverines. Well, they're no longer in the FCS. They've got a little bit of recruiting stuff. Appalachia State is a program that knows how to win. You know, they come in. They they're seventeen and two over their last nineteen. Um, they uh, they return seventeen starters. So it's like they got a whole bunch of guys. They got pretty much their entire uh, team as far as you know, guys that have a lot of experience. So they're going to be a dangerous team, and they're going to be a good team. Um, but. You know, when you look at things that Tennessee has done to improve in the offseason, uh, some things I'll, I'll reiterate. Uh, hired him down from Penn State. He was probably uh, the lone bright spot for Penn State last year. Um, it certainly wasn't offensive line play. Um, you bring back Josh Dobbs, Jalen Hurd. Uh, you got a, a, a bevy of receivers led by Josh Malone and, and Jawan Jennings, uh, who comes in as a sophomore after starting uh, most of his games before he got hurt as a freshman. So, I mean, you've got some great skilled guys around you uh, to help. And, it, it, you know, it's going to be their year, or if it's going to be their year, they need to get started on, on the right note here. They need to get clicking early because if they struggle, Appalachian State is one of those teams. If you leave them hanging around, they will beat you. They will absolutely beat you if you leave them hanging around. A lot of those guys, again, have a chip on their shoulder because they went through all five schools in the state of North Carolina got passed up, even got passed up um, by Tennessee, got passed up by Georgia Tech, got passed up by all those southeastern schools uh, from the ACC and SEC. And they got that chip on the shoulder like, hey, I know I'm good. if I'm good enough to play at Appalachian State, I'm good enough to play at Wake Forest. I'm good enough to play at North Carolina State. I'm good enough to play 
here, 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 you know? And so they bring that chip on their shoulders, and it is going to be something they carry with them throughout the season. And, and when you bring up a team that doesn't know how to lose and you leave them hanging around, they're going to jump up and beat you. So if Tennessee, if there ever was a trap game for Tennessee, it's this one right here because they got that game with Virginia Tech next week that hopefully they're not looking forward to. And if Butch Jones um, is doing a good job, he will not let his team lose focus and lose sight on Appalachian State. So um, it'll be an interesting contest. I think it'll be, again, a very competitive one. Um, at the beginning because Appalachian State is a great program and they will compete and they will play hard and they, they will play you tough. I think eventually what's going what's gonna to happen is the depth is going to wear off. Uh, Tennessee has a lot more depth than Appalachian State just because SEC versus Sunbelt um, and, and you're dealing with recruiting budgets and scholarship players and things like that. So I think the depth will take over. Josh Dobbs will do his thing. Jalen Hurd will do his thing and, and Tennessee will We'll end up pulling away, but it's going to be one of those you look at in the first half and go, dang, Appalachian State's hanging around. Maybe Tennessee's not as good. That doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily an indictment on Tennessee, but Appalachian State can, they can play small too. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely going to be a fun one. You know, I previewed App State uh, when we uh, talked about their conference, and I'm, I'm pretty high on this team, and I think they'll definitely give Tennessee a run for their money. I expect Tennessee to still win by, you know, 13, 16 points, something like that. But it's definitely going to be close going in third, maybe even early fourth quarter before Tennessee's running game behind Jalen Hurd will probably start pulling a little bit at, away at the end. You know, they're going to be a lot bigger than App State. They're going to have a lot more big bodies, especially on the offensive and defensive lines. So um, I'm taking a bit of uh, a, a, a different route with my, uh, with my final quick slant, and I am going uh, – you know, something that uh, I like to do every year is create uh, the college football all-name team because there are some pretty phenomenal names in college football this year. So uh, I've, I've got a starting 22 here that, uh, you know, uh, we will, you know, I'm just going to give a rundown. And, uh, yeah, so we'll start uh, with our, obviously our coach of the all-name team is Ken Niamatololo because that is my favorite name to say in probably all of college football. Behind center, we're going to start with Messiah DeWeaver. You know, you know he can weave together the good drives. Halfbacks, Dare Ogumbawale and Soso Jamabo from Wisconsin and UCLA. Um, our captain on offense is Notre Dame wide receiver Equinemius St. Brown. You know he's undisturbed by everything around him. Uh, the other flanker we have is Demore Stringfellow. He keeps the ball on a Stringfellow. Jake Button is large prestige on the tight end. Uh, the conductor of our offensive line is Wolfgang Zachrol from Charlotte. Uh, where, and he's got next to him Poet Thomas. We've got the musician and the poet next to each other on the offensive line. Uh, center is Blaze Ryder, uh, which needs no more, uh, nothing for me to more to add to that. Um, he has a brother named Wave Ryder, by the way. Oh, that's even, oh, yes, obviously. His brother is, uh, he probably plays somewhere out in like, uh, I don't know, San Diego State, San Jose State, somewhere on the coast. Um, uh, oh, perfect. Uh, we've got Storm Norton uh, from Toledo, one of Coach's favorite players, the other guard, and Tennessee Sue Sue at Boise State as our other offensive tackle. Um, our defensive line is probably the deepest uh, position when it comes to the all-name team. I had to whittle it down to uh, just four, uh, where we have Noble Wakuchu from West Virginia, Hercules Mataafa and his 12 labors at Washington State. Winston De La 
Boudier uh, at Minnesota and Gusty Schwartzmeyer from Buffalo fill out the defensive line. Chezier Malbrue at Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajun with a great first name. Ryan Watercutter is our inside linebacker from Indiana. And outside linebacker Simba Short sticking in the uh, in the Big Ten at, from Northwestern. Cornerbacks, we've got Picasso Nelson Jr. at Southern Miss and Chattel Fentang from Coach George Dogs. Uh, our safeties are Fish Smithson at Kansas and the captain of the defense, Weston Steelhammer, bringing down the hammer at Air Force. Uh, you know, our, that's my guy. Yep. Uh, our, our coach is Cam- – I'm sorry, our, our kicker is Cameron Van Winkle. He will sleep through all the field goals at Washington. <laughs> and our honorary captain, my probably my favorite name from college football history, Philander Moore from Ole Miss, who has been since dismissed from the team. So that's – yeah, so that is our all-name team. Uh, so enough of the light stuff, though. Let's get on to the meat. Well, I have, a, I have a question. So, like, a lot of names that are, like, European-centric have to do with people's job. Like, blacksmith oftentimes became smith. Mm-hmm. What in the world did water cutter do? Uh, I, he cut water, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm questioning the uh, economy of uh, cutting water. Hey, man, listen, someone's got to do it. Um, <laughs> At least he was a cheese cutter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you played for Wisconsin, you probably would be. Probably, yeah, you're right. All right, well, let, let, let's get into the big stuff, guys. Uh, we've got six games we're going to look at more in depth this weekend, and we're going to start with, um, you know, one of the biggest matchups, and that is Houston versus Oklahoma. Uh, they are playing on uh, Saturday at 9 Eastern um, in NRG Stadium in Houston. So it is uh, supposedly a neutral site game, but it should be a de facto home game for the Cougars. Uh, this is a big one. Uh, all, a lot of us, especially Josh and I, both have Houston making the playoffs. So, Josh, I'll get it started with you. Yeah, so I'll get started here with you. Um, what does Houston have to do to slow down Baker Mayfield and the rest of the Sooner attack? Whew. Well, I think they need to do what they did against Florida State in their bowl game. And, you know, they gave up 24 points, which was a little bit above their average. They gave up 20.5 last year. But one of the things that I remember – distinctly from that game was it seemed like they gave Florida State no real easy plays. And even when Florida State, you know, connected on a pass, it seemed like they got pressure, seemed like they got the jersey dirty. And I think they need to do that. They need to upset Baker Mayfield's day. If Baker Mayfield's jersey is clean, I know they're playing in a dome, so – it's not going to have grass stains, but you know what I mean. If if he gets his butt thrown down, Houston has a chance to win because they're very similar offensive numbers, uh, third in the country, 12th in the country, and their defenses were very similar. So what they, they're going to need to do is really ratchet up the pressure, just make Baker Mayfield's day uncomfortable. And if that means Samaj P. Ryan rips off a few long runs, fine, but – to be fair, P. Run's probably going to rip off a bunch of runs anyway because he's that talented. 
I think they need to focus on getting a pass rush. And on the flip side, they need to allow Greg Ward Jr. to shred Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma's a good defense, but their weakness was run defense. And Greg Ward Jr. is a pretty fleet of foot quarterback. I think that allows Ward Jr. to have some running avenues. We saw Texas, we saw Clemson really get their run game going against Oklahoma. To me, that looks like Oklahoma's biggest weakness again this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, piggybacking on what Josh said, if if Houston can disrupt the flow of the game, meaning if they can force Oklahoma to be one-dimensional, which means they're going to have to, you know, obviously they'll probably give up a couple of big runs to Pirine, but, you know, for the most part, shut down the run game, force Oklahoma to sit back and throw it without the threat of run, and they can, and that can be helped with Greg Ward Jr. If Greg Ward Jr. can can uh, do his thing on offense and and uh, attack a defense that somewhat struggles, and I don't know how much you can say they struggle because they still their defensive ranks are pretty good. But um, if you can get them on their heels, where they're having to sit back and throw and throw and throw all the time, those defensive back, those defensive ends and defensive tackles and linebackers they can pin their ears back, and they're coming right now. And then so every and then what Josh said every time he throws the ball every time he's he's getting hit every time he throws the ball if you can if you can constantly knock him down hit him be in his face make him take abbreviated follow throughs just disrupt the rhythm of the act of throwing a football I think that Houston will give them enough fits to where they can start taking away all the short stuff play press man take away a lot of the short bubble routes take a lot. Take a lot of the quick slants away. Take a lot of all of their quick game away. Force them to go vertical downfield. Force them to beat you vertically downfield, and and force that line to really protect for a long period of time so that they can beat you vertical. And and you 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 let Oklahoma play right into your hands. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm going to be interested to see is how Houston's defensive line stacks up against Oklahoma's offensive line, especially true freshman Ed Oliver at Houston. He's might be the, uh, the biggest recruit in program history. If not, he is definitely way up there, and he's going to be thrown right into the fire uh, at the get-go against uh, you know Oklahoma, who always has a big, strong offensive line and wants to pound the rock, as well as air it out. I mean, they've got Samaje Ryan and Joe Mixon back there, and, you know, that, that's a heck of a one-two punch um, in terms of running backs. So, you know, I have faith in Tom Herman as, uh, you know, as a play caller to get his team ready. Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is their, this is their, chance this is Houston's chance to sort of uh put throw their hat in the ring for playoff contention if they lose this game they know they're not making the playoff but they win this game they can make you know they can absolutely make a run at the national title so you know they're going to be amped up there on um in Houston and I I'm looking forward to a very high scoring fast-paced game uh you know I think I think the winning total is going to be somewhere in the 40s on this one so, yeah, I, I do too, and, and I think Houston. I think whatever team's going to win is going to be the team that can dictate the tempo of the game. So, if if Oklahoma wants to go at a certain pace, if they're going to be successful and win this game, they're going to need to dictate that pace and force Houston to adjust to them. If they can dictate it, I think they have a good chance at winning, and they and, and they do have a good chance of dictating it because they have that one-two punch at running back. They have some help. They have some good some good weapons. 
Houston's outside. So it's not like they're, they're walking into a bus hole in Houston um, because they can definitely, you know, be forced to beat them vertically. And then they have the talent to beat them vertically. And they have the line up front that can protect enough to let Baker Mayfield beat them vertically. So I, I, I can see it going one of two ways. I'm, I'm obviously with my playoff selection. I'm picking uh, Oklahoma in this game. So um, it's going to be it's going to be a fun one to watch. I, I, I will say that. All right. Well, let's uh, continue on to our second game preview, and that is for the first time in 31 years, USC versus Alabama. Uh, the teams. The teams have 27 nat- claimed national titles between the two of them. And, yeah, this is only the uh, eighth time they will have ever met in their long and storied history. So uh, this game is being played um, at 8 p.m. Eastern on uh, on the 3rd, which is Saturday. And that is going to be uh, one heck of a game from Arlington, Texas, in Jerry World. So, uh, Josh, you know, uh, this is sort of the battle for Lane Kiffin in a weird way. So uh, is Kiff's current squad or former squad going to have the upper hand? Oh, Alabama has the big edge uh, really everywhere other than maybe – Maybe you can make an argument about quarterback because both teams have questions, so maybe they cancel each other out. Although Alabama does have Cooper Bateman, who at least played a game last year and has been in several camps, so even that I think favors Alabama. Um, you know, I think that this is going to be a classic Alabama game where they pull away in the second half. They just wear them down and, and, and stop looking uglier than it is, but what I want to see, and we talked about this in the preview, that USC has kind of went back to their basics of when they were winning titles, it wasn't with insane, flashy quarterback numbers. It was Lendell White, the Thunder, to Reggie Bush's flash and lightning, and they are bringing back power running, and Every time someone plays Alabama, they average like one yard a carry and they freak out and they ditch the running game. And we saw Wisconsin struggle with that last year and Corey Clement got hurt and they really couldn't run the ball at all. I want to see how much faith the young offensive coordinator and T. Martin has in continuing to pound the rock because the second they kind of give up on that identity, the game's over. And if they keep giving up on that identity, I don't know how USC can beat the UCLA's and the Stanford's of the world. This is, this is going to be a big test for USC to maintain that new edge that they have. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they're up against, uh, they're up against one here. Uh, you know, Alabama has many questions. Cooper Bateman, you said he has, he has experience, and he knows he's played with those, those top targets. He's played with O.J. Howard, Calvin Ridley. He's played with those guys. So Kiffin obviously had the confidence in him, and I'd be surprised if it was much of a in the first place. I, I think that it was going to be they just wanted to make sure Bateman didn't crumble under the pressure of, of winning the starting job, and they just wanted to make sure that publicly that he knew he was just going to be handed down. But really, I think we knew going in that it's going to be Cooper Bateman's job to lose. So uh, they, they just Alabama recruits. 
you never rebuild. You always just kind of reload. You always got that next guy, you know, mentality. But you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to replace. Um, if they can hold off this year, they got the number. They got the new number one recruit in, in, in America, according to Rivals.com. Najee Harris committed to, and coming in. So um, whoever's whoever's got the job right now will probably not have the job next year because not. Harris will come in and take it because he's probably one of the most complete backs I've ever seen, and I'll save that for our recruiting podcast. Well, yeah, you know, uh, I think that what I'm really looking forward to here on in this game is probably the two top wide receivers for next year's draft class, and USC's Juju Smith-Schuster and Alabama's Calvin Ridley. These two guys are both great vertical threats, and ha- once they're in the open field, you know, neither of these guys are going to be caught. Um, you know, we saw what, uh, you know, Ridley and company, he's got a lot of really good receivers around him too. Tight end OJ Howard, Ardavius Stewart, um, as well at the wide receiver position on Alabama. So, you know, Bateman, or even if Blake Barnett, um, you know, comes in and takes some staff, whoever is behind center there is going to have a lot of weapons to get the ball out to. And on the other, uh, for USC though, outside of Juju Smith-Schuster, um, obviously, you know, they have one of the most versatile guys in uh in the game um playing both ways for them in Adoree Jackson uh, you know he's you know still uh, uh, nominally a cornerback but plays so much offense for them that uh you know he, he's basically uh, a true two-way player as true two-way player as you can get in the current game he, he is he is the west coast champ Bailey is what you're telling me uh yeah I mean he, or he's the west coast Jabril Peppers um you know, if you want to go for a little bit more modern uh, analogy, but either way, um, well, obviously, but you're, you have uh, you got a, you got a little, you got a little skin in that game, coach. But yeah, you know, I'm not biased or anything. So I, I think that you know, it's the focus for both teams has got to be on the D backs a little bit. Um, USC's offensive line is a great group, a very, very veteran group. 131 starts between them, and uh, you know. The, their left tackle, Zach Banner, is an absolute beast, All-America candidate. But he and Chad Wheeler, the other tackle, are going to have their hands full with Jonathan Allen and the rest of that Alabama defensive line. So it's, you know, I think that this is definitely not as high-scoring game as, uh, as Houston versus Oklahoma is going to be. But uh, I expect both teams to take a lot of shots downfield and try to get the balls in the hands of their uh, very, very talented receiving cores. Yeah, and this is going to be one of the more wide open games that you'll, or wide open games, and maybe even wide open seasons, I should say, that you'll see for Alabama because of the weapons they have in OJ Howard and Calvin Ridley and then Darius Stewart and, uh, you know, the, the other guys that they're going to roll out outside of them. So, um, yeah, you know, I see it being an interesting game. I see it being interesting at the start. But I think Alabama's depth is going to take over here, and I think they're going to pull away. It's going to look really ugly, and it's not going to—it's not really going to tell the true story of the game. Um, but I think depth is going to just kind of make it look more lopsided than it probably actually will be. Definitely. Well, um, let's move on to the ESPN College Game Day location this week, and that is Green Bay, Wisconsin, Lambeau Field. The frozen tundra will not be frozen at this time of year yet, but um, the Bayou Bengals are coming to town to play my dear, dear Wisconsin Badgers, and it is going to be you know quite a, a different game than it was two years ago when these two teams met at Energy Stadium in Houston. 
Houston. Um, for one, uh, Wisconsin is breaking in a new quarterback, even though he is a fifth-year senior in Bart Houston. And they have uh, – they're getting a healthy Corey Clement back, which is a – you know, they really missed him at a lot of times last year um, when he was out with various injuries or team disciplinary issues. But LSU obviously is one of the most athletic defenses. And, oh, yeah, they have Wisconsin's former defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda, taking care of that unit now. So, uh, Josh, do you think that um, having Aranda on staff for LSU gives them a significant advantage over the Badgers? Oh, I think what gives them the advantage is the talent, honestly. It was a very athletic defense. We know it is, and it doesn't help that our Houston, he's been in the system, but the few times we've seen him, he hasn't looked like a world beater. Took him a while to tie down his starting job. I just don't think Wisconsin has the quarterback to win this game. If they were playing LSU a little later, who knows? Maybe. I still have it as a battle. Up on the blog, I had a predicted final as 21-13, and the reason is Wisconsin had the best scoring defense a year ago. They return a lot of pieces. Even without um, Aranda, they still put in a one hell of a defensive coordinator, Justin Wilcox. So, um, you know, they got a ton, a ton of defensive talent returning, on the flip side, LSU, they don't have a quarterback. And I know people will say, well, Brandon Harris is a two-year starter, or, you know, was last year's starter. I looked at his numbers. They were even worse than I remembered them. 53.8 completion percentage. Just over 2,100 yards. 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. Doesn't do anything for you. And he's not even a dual threat. He had just 3.4 yards per carry last year for a little over 200 yards total and only four touchdowns. He's not a very good quarterback. We've talked about Cam Cameron. He's not a very good coordinator anymore. And Les Miles, for whatever reason, has, you know, kind of lost a little bit of his bloom. The marriage has gone stale in Baton Rouge. LSU is a team in flux. We don't know what they're going to be. They have the talent to compete with Alabama, but they've got deficiencies of their own. Wisconsin's defense is going to keep them in that game. Yeah, I mean, to answer your original question, man, I, I think the advantage of Miranda being at LSU, I, I think it's kind of a watch because the offensive coordinators and Paul Chris are going to know offensively how to scheme against Miranda. And then, of course, Miranda's going to know uh, Wisconsin's personnel. So, it's going to be kind of a wash because, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I guess if you had to give the upper hand, it would be to Aranda. But, you know, I, I think it's it, it's, a, it's an interesting contest because of the turmoil that LSU has gone through and the things that they have going on. They're, they can't, for whatever reason, can't seem to recruit a quarterback. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what's not attracting these top-notch quarterbacks or – there's a couple of guys they brought in that they thought were going to be studs and ended up being busts. But uh, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, Les Miles' job situation and whether or not he's going to be there year to year, I don't know. Maybe it's Cam Cameron's unexciting. There's, there's probably a lot of different reasons. But, you know, the fact of the matter is I think LSU still has that SEC depth. They have Leonard Fournette running the ball. Uh, they have 
I worry about their quarterback, which is why I think Wisconsin is going to stay around and hang around in this game for a while. Uh, and I think Corey Clement's going to play a huge factor in this game. I know I said that uh, last year about him, but he's fully healthy again. And, and, and uh, I think he can do some big things for Wisconsin, unfortunately. I think it's going to be tough sledding for him this week because of the familiarity with Dave Aranda coming in with the system. Um, you know, Wisconsin's going to have to find other ways to attack that defense. Um, and, and they'll know, and they'll, they'll figure it out, and I think it's going to be a close game for a while. Um, I think it might be one of those down-to-the-wire type games that nobody expects. Um, I certainly hope it's that way because, you know, we don't, you know, we need some good, exciting games this weekend. I think there's going to be plenty of them. And, and you know, what better what better place than to turn over to Lambeau Field and, and watch, uh, watch a Wisconsin team uh, take it to an SEC team um, and really just kind of kind of send things in motion. And, you know, it'd be like kind of if, they, if LSU loses this game, that'd be kind of like that final straw that, you know, the wheels are about to fall off now. So um, it'll be – I'll, I'll be keeping a close eye on this one because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Les Miles has been known to make a few fourth-quarter mistakes that are that end up being huge, especially with clock mismanagement. He's always had kind of an issue with that, losing games that he shouldn't, like Ole Miss a few years ago when Ole Miss was kind of on their upswing but still not in a position to be able to beat a team like LSU. Uh, things like that can also happen in the course of a, of a ball game, especially one of this magnitude, especially one that's it's technically a neutral site, but it's a home game for Wisconsin. So they'll have the, they'll have the red and white out there jumping around in the fourth quarter uh, to the house of pain. So uh, I like LSU to win this one. It'll be a lot closer than a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah, I, you know, I'm hoping they put a little house of pain at the end of the third quarter up there in Lambeau. I think they will. I think they, they've announced they do it for bowl games now. So yeah, so I, I would imagine that they're going to do it. What I'm most interested in seeing in this game is Wisconsin's offensive line and how they're going to hold up against those big uh, hog mollies from the Bayou. Uh, they lost, uh, you know, three-year starter Dan Volts who had to retire to, due to injuries, and he. Um, you know, he just retired, you know, a week ago after camp, uh, or sorry, during fall camp. And so they're, they're Wisconsin starting, um, you know, three sophomores, one junior and possibly one freshman. And, um, so they are going up against some, you know, big, uh, some big guys with some real pedigree out there, uh, from LSU. So they're going to have to, um, really, you know, hold up their end of the bargain if Wisconsin's going to keep the chains moving and, um, you know, be able to push them around a little bit up front. So, but moving from, uh, the, me and Josh's alma mater to coach's alma mater, uh, Georgia is playing the University of North Carolina in the Georgia Dome on, uh, Saturday night. So, uh, coach, I'm going to see the floor to you here. Um, first, my first question is, is Jacob Eason going to start? Uh, well, uh, Grayson Lambert took, uh, first team reps th- uh, today. So, uh, I think they're still kind of questioning that. I, I think it's going to end up being Jacob Eason. Um, so to answer your question, yes, I think it'll, I think it'll be Jacob Eason. I think he'll win the job because he's the most talented guy and, He's probably the best thing or closest thing we have to a leader. I say we, Georgia. Um, another important factor in the decision to pull the trigger on, on uh, not Grayson Lambert, but Jacob Eason, is the fact that Nick Chubb, I believe I read this correctly, um, that 
that he is 100% go with no restrictions for this game. Um, not surprised. I mean, that kid is probably the hardest working kid in college football. Um, so he's going to be back 100% no restrictions. And I, and I believe Sony Michelle um, is going to be back with the – I think he's going to have a minimal brace on, but nothing that's going to impede him too much. So they're going to be pretty much at full strength. Uh, so that, that'll be kind of a key factor in just determining who that quarterback is. I think it's going to be Jacob Beeson. I wouldn't be surprised um, if they came out first series with Grayson Lambert and then eased Jacob Beeson in just to kind of see how the flow of the ball game goes or to see if Lambert will struggle and line bullets, which I think he will because I think he doesn't process things um, at that speed, um, at the speed at which they're going to play. So, um, if you look on the flip side of it for Georgia, uh, Georgia's defense is going to have their uh, work cut out for them. Elijah Hood's one of the top backs in the country. Um, you know, you, you look at Nick Chubb and, and talk about everything that's great about him. I think Elijah Hood is just as good. Uh, I think Larry Fedora, which is I hammered on him last, a year ago, I think he really, really just – I think he found it. You know, I think he found a way – um, and I think he found his niche, and, and he he got his defense fixed, and, and and we were we were skeptical of that. He he answered that question for us a year ago. So they're going to come in. They graduated they graduated a lot of people from their uh, ACC uh, championship game appearance run, but uh, you know they're still a tough team. They're still going to be extremely talented, um, and they're, they're going to compete in the ACC. And there's no reason that they can't come in. They're, they're a lot more of a veteran team coming in right now than Georgia is, especially at the running back position. So it'll be tough for this Georgia defense to uh, to corral Elijah Hood. I think Elijah Hood's going to have a huge day. I think Georgia wins a nail-biter because I think a lot of these young kids are going to grow up really fast in this game. Kirby Smart's going to do, do a tremendous job game planning for the Tar Heels. So, um, you know, I look forward to it. And, and guys, you know, uh, the defensive backfield is the really giant question mark for this Georgia team. Um, and, and if they're going to be able to, how they're going to be able to respond, um, especially when adversity hits. But, you know, the good news is, is that it's not really a neutral site game, uh, much like Houston at Energy Stadium, uh, Wisconsin at uh, Lambeau, Georgia at the Georgia Dome. Uh, it's a de facto home game for them. Uh, a lot of North Carolina fans will be there more than you think, but um, it'll have that Georgia home game, home away from home uh, game feel to it. I think Georgia wins in a nail-biter, but it's going to be a good, fun game to watch if you like running back play. I will say that. Nick Chubb versus Elijah Hood, two guys that uh, are extremely talented and will do and will play on Sundays, guaranteed. Josh? Yeah, you know, I was looking at the quarterback because these are two teams that – we're very, very high on. We think Georgia can contend in their SEC division. North Carolina can contend in their ACC division. So when you're kind of splitting hairs between two teams, you absolutely love, and Coach nailed it. We, I don't know if there's two teams for you and me, Matt, outside of our rooting interest where we love their running back talent. Um, I covet the... And I covet the Elijah Hood for these two teams. So I was kind of look at the quarterback situation because, uh, you know, we know Jacob Eason, five-star recruit, expected to do great things. 
and Grayson Lambert, uh, you know, kind of maligned a little bit, but his numbers aren't terrible. He was uh, 63% a year ago, 12 touchdowns, two picks. And while at Virginia, who's absolutely terrible, he was at a 59 completion percentage, um, and still had a decent yard per attempt average. So looks like Georgia has a pretty good quarterback situation to be in. North Carolina, I don't think you can say that. Marquise Williams, who was absolutely dynamite a year ago, graduated. Uh, the uh, starter coming out of camp is uh, Mitch Trubisky. And, uh, you know, I don't want to rag on someone because of their name, but have you ever noticed that there are certain names where you're just like, that doesn't sound like a guy who's going to go on to have a career. And <laughs> Mitch Trubisky just kind of sounds like one of those names, but um, in a backup role, he's thrown 82 passes over two years. Um, he, you know, he's got six touchdowns last year. Um, he played the Delaware game extensively. He actually had 20 attempts in that Delaware game. But, I mean, I just – I'm not seeing this Trubisky kid being as good as even Grayson Lambert, let alone being as good as – Jacob Easton, and, you know, hats off to him for winning that job. But, um, you know, football's a cold game. Someone has to win. And as it stands now, Georgia's quarterback position is a lot more complete. Yeah, tricky Nick, tricky Mitch Trubisky uh, <laughs> will have, will we'll definitely have his hands full too with the Kirby Smart Art defense. Um, but, for me, I I hope he wins the Heisman and like rags on our show during his acceptance speech. That would be, uh, that would be good pub for the show. So I would not. Yeah, any publicity is good publicity, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. So um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see how Georgia deploys their stable of tight ends in this game. Um, I, I expect, you know, three, four, three or four different tight ends to get their hands on the ball at different times. So that's going to be, you know, as someone who, who played a little tight end in his high school career, I, I appreciate a strong tight end game, and Georgia has that in spades. Well, let's move on uh, from there to the uh, Notre Dame at Texas game, which is happening on Sunday at uh, 7.30 Eastern in Austin. And uh, Charlie Strong's crew is, uh, you know, coming back after a very turbulent season. But there is a lot of uh, reason for hope in Austin. Uh, and this starts with uh, Shane Buckley and uh, their freshman quarterback. But, uh, you know, so but if the Longhorns have, you know, one sort of questionable quarterback, the Fighting Irish have two good quarterbacks. So if, in their preview, we talked about, you know, Kaiser and Zaire as quarterbacks. And uh, uh, Coach Kelly has said that uh, they're both going to see action this week. But uh, so, Josh, who do you expect to take more snaps, Kaiser or Zaire? Well, I think we all were in agreement that we thought Kaiser just has a higher ceiling. Um, you, you know, Zaire did win the job last year before getting hurt. But, uh, you know, Kaiser just was so dynamite last year that it, it's almost like, you know, looking back on what Ohio State did, they basically discounted everything JT Barrett did for, like, three good games that um, Cardell Jones had and then had this quarterback headache 
soap opera all last year. I don't know why Brian Kelly's doing that. But the fact of the matter is Zaire won the job in camp, but was okay. They almost lost the Virginia game that he started. I believe that was the game he got hurt in later. But, I mean, why are you discounting basically eight or nine really, really good games by Deshaun Kaiser? I don't get it. I would have him be the starter and not even think about playing two quarterbacks. My concern really for Notre Dame, and I I think Notre Dame's still going to win this game, but you talked about Texas having a tumultuous season last year. This Irish team coming into this year, six players arrested, kicking off Max Redfield, a guy that we talked about in our preview of them. This is not a very smooth start to the season, and I don't know what's getting into these kids. I mean, we had them as a dark horse to make the tournament. All of us liked what the Irish did last year. I don't know what's going on in South Bend, why – yeah, they had another cornerback kicked off. I, I don't – or suspended. I just don't know what's going on between the ears of some of these Notre Dame fighting Irish players. Yeah, I mean, it's just a sense of entitlement. But going back to the quarterback issue um, or the quarterback situation, I should say, is, you know, when, when you look at these two guys, Malik Zaire might be the more talented kid. He might be the more talented guy. But it's not necessarily talent uh, – per se, that's going to ultimately lead to success. I mean, you can be extremely talented um, and not be as good of a leader and not have as much success um, as the guy below you that might be, you know, a little bit less talented but has that it factor and can get the guys to rally around him. And I think that's what Deshaun Kaiser brings to the table. You know, I'm not saying there's a huge talent gap because there's not because uh, I think they're both I think they're both good in their own way. But you know, when you look at him and when you just kind of – you look at the other guys around him and how they respond, and I think I think Deshaun Kaiser has that leadership quality about him that Malik Zaire doesn't. I think Malik Zaire is just a good player that, that people can look to and say, okay, he's going to go make a play. But I think Kaiser is a guy that can, that can say, you know, in a tough situation, he can come in and say, listen, guys, you know, I, you know this is what we need. We need to get it done. Here we go. Hop on my back. Let's go. Um, and he did that because Malik Zaire went down. He had to do that. He's got experience doing that. He got thrown into the fire, and he responded tremendously, which is why I think that ultimately he's going to be the better quarterback, not necessarily the better player, but the better quarterback than Malik Zaire. And I, I think the same thing could be said about uh, JT Barrett. JT Barrett just kind of had that it factor that I didn't think the other two had. Uh, now, Braxton Miller understood – um, and I think Braxton Miller has good leadership qualities too, because he was willing to say, you know what, I'll put my quarterback dreams aside. I think I can play the next level, um, and I can help the team at wide receiver. And he, and he did just that. So, um, you know, I'm not saying Malik Zaire is going to play wide receiver, but uh, you know, I think if you're choosing between the two, you've got to look at those intangibles that I think Deshaun Deshaun Kaiser has more of than than Zaire. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm with you guys both here, obviously, on Kaiser, and I'm you know interested in seeing how Notre Dame's offensive line uh, sort of gets rebuilt after graduating Ronnie Stanley, and Nick Martin, um, as well as uh, Steve Elmer. So, you know, uh, Malik Jackson, the linebacker at Texas, had himself quite the freshman year, and 
there are you know, extreme, bigger things from him this year. And, you know, he, he might come blitzing up the middle. And so who's ever behind center at Notre Dame has to, you know, really keep his eyes on Jefferson out there in uh, from the linebacker position on the Longhorns. But the final, uh, the final game we want to get to is uh, Ole Miss versus Florida State. And this is a big one. This is your Labor Day evening game uh, from Orlando, Florida. And, you know, we we all here have extraordinarily high expectations for Seminoles. But Ole Miss has returned, uh, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Chad Kelly. So, uh, but Josh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the, the Rebels graduated, um, or I should say, or lost the draft, a lot of their top talent from the last year. So do you think that they'll be able to sort of uh, regain um, anything on the field? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I think having Chad Kelly back certainly helps. Uh, it's weird. We talk about Hugh Freeze and, and some of the good offensive stuff that they've done, but uh, one thing that I'm curious about was back in 2014, they had that land Shark de- land shark defense. They finished 12th in total yards, uh, only gave up 13.8 points per game. And then last year, that slid to 22.8, but they actually had a better season. They won their bowl game. And we know Florida State can score. And we know Hugh Freeze can score. So I think what it's going to come down to is, you know, we talked about the Candici. Uh, he's gone. He's one of those pieces gone. What it's going to come down to is because both teams are going to score. We know that. That's a given. I think both teams can easily get into the 30s. The question is, does Ole Miss have enough defense in the tank to pull this game off? And I'm I'm not sure they do. I'm going to go with Florida State, but – um, it, it's weird in such an offensive battle to be talking so much Ole Miss defense. That's where I see this game coming down to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll flip over and talk about offense because that's, you know, that's just what I do. Um, but, uh, you know, when you, when you deal with, uh, when you look at Florida State, you, know, you got to look at Heisman uh, contender Dalvin Cook, and there's going to be a heavy dose of him. And, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting contest because that's going to be the key for Ole Miss is, whether or not they can slow down Dalvin Cook. If they can't, it's going to be an extremely long day. And, and as much as we talk about Florida State and the merit that we give them, um, you know, I, I think it's probably, you know, I think Florida State has a chance to blow this thing out because of all the talent they have this year and just kind of the stars aligning for the Seminoles. So, you know, I'll be, I'll be very quick with this. It's going to be can Chad Kelly do – can Chad Kelly – disrupt this defense can he attack this defense can he can he play the game so um it'll be interesting to see uh i think florida state with a chance to blow it out i think they can um but don't be surprised if Ole miss has a good chance to win too it's gonna be a very interesting matchup um for that yeah you know the matchup has taken place in the state of florida which i think is really good for um for Florida State, and you mentioned Dalvin Cook. He is my pick to win the Heisman. If I were a gambling man, I would be putting down some of my hard-earned money on him at, uh, I believe, 12th one odds or where you can get him at, and that is a uh, – I think that is a great find. I believe that Florida State is going to win the national title on the back of Dalvin Cook as well as uh, DeAndre Francois, who is going to – who they're uh, 
retro freshman will be the quarterback for this year. He is a stud and uh, you know, I think this is uh, this might be you know outside of Alabama the most talented team in the country. Um, if you just look at you know recruiting ranking plus how guys have developed, uh, love their offensive line, love their defensive backfield. You know they've got athletes everywhere, and you know we saw them do it just two years ago. So um, or, or three years ago, I should say. So this is. Uh, uh, a, a team that really, you know, knows where it wants to go and knows how to get there and definitely has the talent to do so. So, um, well, with that, uh, we need to move on to our last section, uh, our spread formations, where I give the guys uh, five different gambling lines and they give me their uh, their super quick thoughts and their gambling picks. So um, the first game I'm asking guys to pick between is South Carolina at Vanderbilt, where the Commodores are four-point favorites at home. So, Josh, you got, uh, you got the doors or you got the cocky? Oh, it's more dramatic to give me – to, like, give the stats and stuff before giving my picks. So, All right. Well, then give us the stats. So, Vandy, super underrated defense last year, 21 points allowed per game. That was 22nd best in the country. South Carolina didn't do anything right a year ago. 110th in offense, 72nd in points against. They hired Will Muschamp, who I don't think could coach a paper bag. He's good defensively, but not head coach. And Vanderbilt won this game a year ago, 19-10. to 10. I will gladly take those points because I think the doors can double them up. Coach? I guess we've lost the coach there. Well, I'm also going with the doors um, to beat uh, the Gamecocks uh, just because I think that at this point they're a more cohesive unit, um, especially their defense. Uh, I really like their defense and don't think that South Carolina really has the horses on offense to – I'm not going to say keep up with the Andy Ludwig-led offense because that's – you know they'll be lucky if they get 20 points, but I'm not sure South Carolina will crack double digits. So, um, Coach? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, well, um, I, I think what's going to happen uh, in this game with uh, South Carolina and Vandy, it's, it's actually uh, going to be a lot closer than uh, anyone would ever anticipate with the uh, success that uh, South Carolina has had uh, recently, not necessarily last year, but in the previous years before that. So, um, I, I think I see it going one of two ways, uh, depending on depending on how South Carolina comes out and responds. I think the talent level is depleted. I think Vanderbilt's going to sneak up and get this one because they're going to try to rally behind Derek Mason. I think that you know, anytime you have a top thirty defense, um, it's it's going to be you know it's going to be tough on on the opponents. So um, I like Vandy in this game actually. All right, that's a, that's a clean sweep for the doors. Uh, our second game is. Uh, Gary Anderson's Oregon State team versus his old school's rival, Minnesota, in the Twin Cities. Minnesota is a 13-point favorite at home. Josh, uh, can the Goofs cover this? Well, I was looking at it, and it's kind of funny. So Minnesota did not beat anyone by more than 13 a year ago outside of Purdue. However, Oregon State lost all their games – by more than 13, but one a year ago. So that kind of cancels each other out. So I will do the old adage, Pac-12 teams come to the Midwest, seldom do well. Big 10 teams, visiting Pac-12 teams, 
seldom do well. I'm going to take the Gophers to cover this, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Coach, I, I agree with you, Josh. I, I think Minnesota's in a better place right now than Oregon State is. Um, so, and, and Oregon State's got to travel. Um, that's a difference as well. So give me the Gophers. All right, all right. Well, uh, our, our next game is a week one ACC matchup. Georgia Tech heads up to Chestnut Hill to take on Boston College. Georgia Tech is a three-point road favorite against Siva uh, Dazio's squad. Uh, Josh, we spelled doom and gloom for the Eagles in our previews. Is it going to continue here? Yes. Georgia Tech's going to win this game, and – I think that I'm bringing up our little stat thingy. I had Georgia Tech finishing second to last in the coastal, but if I'm not mistaken, I said that pretty much everyone but Virginia from the coastal is going to make a bowl game. Mm-hmm. I don't think Georgia Tech is as bad as their standing is going to end up. So I have them winning big. I think they cover this. Yeah, I, I think they win big as well. I, I you know. They're a much more talented team than people give them credit for. Um, they have a lot of guys coming back, you know. Um, I think Boston College is just that bad. Uh, they're they're in a pretty bad, tough spot with Dazio. We we predicted him being first fired. It starts here, week one. Georgia Tech's going to cover, and then some. All right, yeah, I'm with both of you guys. I got Georgia Tech. Um, Georgia Tech winning big. Our fourth game of the weekend is uh, Kansas State headed west to the farm to take on Stanford, who are pretty big, 15-point favorites at home. So, Josh, Bill Snyder's crew, can they they pull an upset on the road? I said that they could pull an upset, but since we're purely doing spreads, I will gladly – take those points. I think Kansas State can make this competitive. Stanford's breaking in a new quarterback. Uh, Kansas State's defense last year wasn't very impressive statistically. They had a lot of injuries, and based on who they have back, I've seen some people say that this might be one of Bill Snyder's best defenses on paper. So Kansas State can lose the game by 14, but I still win because the spread is 15. I think they cover uh, because Christian McCaffrey's out by the midway third quarter. Um, and Kansas State finds a way to pull back in within two touchdowns. Uh, I think Stanford's going to win this game. Um, it's probably going to be an unimpressive two-touchdown victory for them because I think that Bill Snyder is, is one of his better defenses. Uh so give me Stanford to win, Kansas State to cover. All right. Well, this usually would be the place where we pick the Kansas line, but unfortunately they're playing Rhode Island in their first game. There is no line available on the game. So uh, we're, we're switching gears a little bit, and we've got, a, we've got an intriguing non-conference matchup between uh, BYU at Arizona in Tucson. Arizona is just barely a favorite at home, point and a half. Uh, so, Josh, Rich Rod's squad, uh, can, they, uh, can they contain Connor Magna? Ooh, yes. I think they will. Um, I've kind of re-examined Arizona last year, and, you know, they weren't necessarily the most impressive 
three and six in conference, seven and six team overall. But early on in the year, when they were still fully healthy, they were blowing people out. And it wasn't until all the injuries mounted and obviously losing Scooby Wright and we saw a new Solomon miss time and stuff. It wasn't until the middle of that Pac-12 schedule that they kind of got slowed down. And on the flip side, BYU needed to have some magic. They had some tight games last year, obviously the Hail Mary against Nebraska. And this is going to be the first game for BYU's new coach. That gives me confidence that Arizona can cover a very measly one-and-a-half point spread. I think Arizona ends up winning by a touchdown, maybe even ten points. New coach for BYU. So you're going to have growing pains there. Arizona's never, when they're fully healthy, they've never really had a problem on offense. Mm -hmm. So I think they're going to score a lot of points. And between them scoring a lot of points and BYU struggling through their growing pains with a new coach, Oh, excuse me, with a new coach, I think it's going to be, you know, a two-touchdown, maybe three-touchdown game in favor of the Wildcats. And I think that, you know, people aren't taking that, that kind of stuff into consideration, even even though you do have uh, Magnum at, as your quarterback. I don't think it's going to be enough. I think defensively they're going to struggle keeping up with Arizona because, quite frankly, a lot of people do. And they're getting Arizona early, which usually means – Arizona's typically, before they get in the meat of their Pac-12 schedule, they're usually hitting on all cylinders at this point and then fade off. That's been kind of their M.O. So um, I like Arizona big in this game um, because of the factors that BYU just probably hasn't gelled under this new staff yet. So, you know, give me the give me the cats. All right, well, let's make it a clean sweep for the cats. Uh, they're, you know, uh, uh, you know, just worried about, you know, coaching change at BYU. And I, I really think that, you know, Arizona has a chance to make some noise if they can get things sorted out on defense. So that is going to do it for us this week. Um, any final words uh, from you, Josh? Well, I feel like we just agreed on every spread for me, right? We, in fact, did agree on every single spread, which is a first in the history of our show. Should I call a while, like an audible, and have, like, one that I just randomly saw here real quick that might be able to be a tiebreaker? Go for it. About this, Tulane visits Wake Forest. Wake is favored by 17 points, which I didn't realize Wake was capable of scoring 17 points, and the over-under is 43-and-a-half, something I didn't know was capable for these two teams combining. So how about I will take the green wave with those points and I'll take the under. How about that? I'll, I'll take Wake Forest in the under. I'll, I'll, take, Wake, I'll take Wake Forest 24-6. Uh, to 6. I saw Willie Fritz do this at, at, uh, at Georgia Southern. I saw him do it at Sam Houston State. He's going to do it at Tulane, too. He's going to score a ton of points. So I'm going to take Tulane. And you know what? I'm going to take the over. All right, that's a good there we go. for, week, for week one. Um, I know. I, I'm glad I saw that. I was scrolling through stuff, and I'm like, how is like, Wake Forest won all their games last year, like 6 nothing. Like, Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that is going to do it for us here in our week one preview on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So on behalf of the coach, Coy Burton, in Nashville, Tennessee, and on behalf of uh, Josh Cook in Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. We're back. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.